God gives. They not only are great the first day you get them, but they're gifts that are a blessing all the days that you enjoy them. And so God has a right place for these desires, and these desires given to us are God-given desires, whether male or female, they're God-given desires, and he has put a place that we can enjoy them to the fullest, that if you obey God's command, you can be without disease, without pain, without a broken home, without shame, without dishonor, without loss of finances, all these things that are ruined by the smoother-than-honey words of a false woman or a false man, all these things are avoided. But you see, the world doesn't do it often, as God says. The world compromises long before, you know, dating or whatever, and then they get engaged and they're compromising sexually. And, and that's why you need, like, destination weddings. And you need, you know, when you get, where are you going on your honeymoon? Oh, we're going here. What do they have to do? Well, there's extreme bungee jumping and parasailing and helicopter flipping and, you know, all that. And, and you want to know why they have to have all that? Because there's no mystery left for the wedding night for most people who do it the world's way. When you do it God's way, the only thing the wedding place needs or the, the place for your honeymoon is do not disturb. That's all you need. If you do it God's way, Pastor, I think you're going over the edge. Wait till we get to the Song of Solomon. You see, God created these things. And by the way, I'll say this also. It wasn't just created for a wedding night and occasionally when you decide you want to have some kids. This was created to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife until death do them part. And look, I understand that we're in a whole different world than when they wrote these things as far as, well, if there are medical issues and other problems, almost all of those can be remedied today and can be helped so the relationship, no matter how old you are, you can continue to enjoy this gift God has given to you. And it was meant to be enjoyed for a lifetime. In fact, what you'll find is doing it God's way, you'll find that that gift gets increasingly more valuable and more pleasurable the time. You see, the world says you get married and it's, ah, like that's it, it's over. First came the wedding, first came the wedding ring, then came the supper ring. Have you ever heard that? No? But when you do it God's way, it's, hey, it's a whole different ballgame. When you do it his way. I have lived an unsaved past in the world where I fooled around, I was promiscuous, and then I got saved. When I got saved, we honored God in our engagement. God got us to our wedding night honorably before him. It was like everything was brand new and started all over, and it's been amazing. I've lived on both sides. I've lived in the pagan world. We have the revolving bedroom door policy, and I've lived as a believer now in Christ where it's one man for one woman for life, and I'll tell you something, it's way better over here in the kingdom of heaven. Way better. Drink waters out of your own cistern. Let me make it clear. Enjoy sexual fulfillment from your wife or from your husband. Running waters out of your own well. And by the way, how often do you take a drink during the day? It is, it is compared to, and this is the Middle East, it is compared to a drink, a thirst, a drive that happens repeatedly through life that was meant to be met repeatedly through life. Drink waters out of your own cistern, running waters out of your own well. Let thy fountains, it's actually a question in verse 16. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, rivers of waters in the streets? Should you have this, this idea of open marriage is the idea, letting anyone else be part of it? Let them be only thine and not strangers with thee. Let me make it clear, no swinging, no open marriages. If you're paying attention, the new buzzword is throuples. How many have seen that? Two guys and one gal in a relationship, two girls and a guy in a relationship, or multiples. If you're paying attention, that's getting pushed now in our country. 
And since gay marriage got authorized and got through the Supreme Court, polygamy will not be far behind as well as some other debased forms of unions. If we don't turn the tide of where this country is going, we're going to see those things get enacted as law. And I'll tell you, there are two major groups pushing for polygamy. One, Mormons. Two, Muslims. And they want to see it in our country. And the precedent's been set. We've already redefined marriage as a country, so why not then redefine what is a marriage union? Two, three, four, and whatever. However many you want. Whatever number. Let them be yours and yours only, not for strangers with you. Verse 18, let thy fountain be blessed. That is, let your intimacy between you and your wife or you and your husband be blessed. Let it be blessed of God. You can ask his help and his blessing. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. And the secret, gentlemen, is to always keep her as the wife of your youth. Always remember her that way. Let her be as a loving hind and a pleasant roe, sleek, graceful, elegant as the deer. Let her, this is in the word, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Ladies, it's here. And the idea is your husband has been given a God-given desire to pursue you. And look, I understand you're saying, I wish you'd pursue my heart more. Well, then help him with that. I hear from people, you know, there's all kinds of books and other things written about this, and I want to be reasonably discreet here, but look, God has placed in your husband's heart a desire for his wife. So let me give you some things not to let interrupt that, okay? Well, well, I don't look like those people in the magazines. Hello? They don't look like that either. They've been airbrushed, retouched, and enhanced, okay? I mean, you, if, you, if you've ever paid attention, back when they did Pretty Woman with um, Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, right? When they did that, they had a body double for some scenes with Julia Roberts, according to, to reports. She wasn't good enough. Lindsay Lohan, make it a little more modern, she sat and did a, a photo shoot for Playboy, didn't see it. But somebody leaked the photos, didn't see those either, before they retouched them. And according to the commentary, they said, hmm, those photos don't look like those photos. In other words, what you purchased in Playboy was not reality, it was somebody in the back room fixing up the photos. So when you say, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I have a hard time offering myself to my husband because I don't look like any of these catalogs or anything else. He doesn't want the catalogs. He wants you. You know, it's interesting. The studies go on. And I read these things because we do premarital classes. I sit with couples. I, I see a lot of things, hear a lot of things with them. They find that women generally over time enjoy more and more intimacy in their marriage because more and more over time they become more comfortable with who they are. Your husbands love you. They have a desire that's been given to them by God, and I hope you have a desire for them too. This was meant to be something that was just a rich reward between you and your husband or you and your wife. And by the way, as time goes by, and look, I know, I know the medical issues. I know some things are hard for people, painful, whatever. I got all that. I understand. I'm not minimizing that. But I will say that when we do it God's way, you end up having, if he blesses these wonderful children, these passing of years, they grow up. You go through things like graduations and engagements and marriages and all that. And yet you have this wonderful treasure between you and your wife or you and your husband. You have, it's almost like you have a dance of your own. And it's wonderful. And it's blessed. So much better than those smooth words from a woman who wants to drag you down. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth, verse 18. Let her be as a loving hind in a pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And always be thou, the word is ravished or intoxicated, with her love, focus on her and her only. 
Why will thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman? Why will thou embrace the bosom of a stranger? And what's really happening when you do that is and miss so many of the blessings God had for you and what he designed for you. When we were in the Bible college, we had a pastor named Larry Hood, I think from Twin Peaks Community Church, great guy. And he said, you know, the world's definition of a great lover is one man who can satisfy many women. That's the world's definition. But as you read your Bible, God's definition would be one man who can satisfy one woman through all the changes of life. Oh, that was pretty good. Why will you, my son, be ravaged with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Why would you do that? And here's what's important. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. You're not hiding it from God. Oh, you can have the fake stock app, the fake weather app, the fake whatever app, and yet every time you're, you're in it, God knows what you're doing. You're not hiding it from him. The eyes of a man are before, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth, he considers, or weighs all his going. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself. And ultimately will be these things will cave in on you. And he should be holding with the cords of his sins. These things do come back. And by the way, sexual lusts often enslave people into pornography. Other things, pornography enslaves people into wanting more experiences. The experiences enslave people into affairs. Affairs enslave people into, or flings, which enslave them into affairs. And then the fear of the truth coming out enslaves them into deception. And it becomes a very harsh task, Master, until one day it all just blows up. He shall die without instruction. Having been taken into bondage by it, you start dying inside. And in the greatness of his folly, yielding to these sexual lusts rather than enjoying what God created, he shall go astray. Do you think Solomon's pretty clear on this is probably not a good idea? How many got that from reading Proverbs 5? Okay, well, let's go to Proverbs 6. He's going to another subject, but this one's so important, we're going to see it three more times in the next two chapters from different directions. Now another subject, chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if thou be a surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand, the idea is you, you basically sign a deal by clapping hands together, deal. If you've stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, and thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go, humble thyself, and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter. In other words, the hunters grab you by the head, wiggle your way out, or as a bird from the hand of the fowler. You've been grabbed by the fowler, he's got your leg, you start flapping like mad to get away. What is he talking about? Co-signing. When you're a surety for someone, you are essentially co-signing or you've made yourself obligated for their debt. So they, they couldn't do it. They wouldn't take that person on their own credit. So they say, mm -hmm, who's got money? You. You've got some money or some land. Why don't you sign for him? And, and oh, come on, come on, please, please, I'll pay back. Oh, you can just be, oh, go And you go ahead and you, you co-sign and then boom, they leave. Now, how many of, did you, you don't have to give any details. How many have ever seen someone say, co-sign for a car and get burned? There's at least one hand, two hands. Okay, anybody co-sign for a house and get burned? Probably anybody. Land, investments, that happens too. What do you know? Most of you know co-signing is not a smart idea. How many know that already, intuitively? Okay, how many have heard horror stories? Okay, great. 
Good. Well, basically here, Proverbs is trying to help a young man look, don't get snookered, don't cosign, don't become a surety. If for some reason you cosigned or became a surety for someone else's debt, get up, don't go to bed, go to them and do whatever you have to do to get out of that arrangement. Because you have yoked yourself to their faithfulness and you don't want to do that. So again, Proverbs, simple wisdom. Do this now, my son. Verse 3, deliver yourself when you come into the hand of your friend. Go, humble yourself. Sorry, shouldn't have done this. My fault. Do whatever you have to do. Make sure your friend. Don't even sleep. Don't give slumber to your eyelids. Get out of this like an animal coming out of the hand of a trap or a fowler. Get out of it quickly. Okay. Proverbs 6, 6. Another subject. This one is on laziness. So we've learned about sexual morality, co-signing, laziness. I knew you drove in tonight going, I really hope he talks about sexual morality, co-signing, and laziness. Because I, I need a review of this. Well, good. We aim to please. Proverbs 6.6. 6, Go to the ant. And that's not ant, you know, Matilda or Jane or June, whoever's around the table tomorrow. The idea is the ant, the insect. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Now, who's the sluggard? The lazy man or woman? It's going to talk about later on that the sluggard is so lazy it, it pains them to have to lift the spoon to their mouth. Can't somebody feed me? I'm serious. There's not a high opinion of the sluggard. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. In other words, if you'd like an education, sit outside and watch the ants. What will I learn? Verse 7, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler. How many of you have seen an ant with an, another ant with a clipboard doing occupational therapy? <laughs> no, no, see, you've got to grab the, the picnic like this, see, and pull it away when they're not looking. And then, no, you've got to get in line, in line, get, get in line. Have you ever seen, you know, basically an ant apprentice? They just do it. Back in Russia... We had friends, uh, and they had this stream of ants, that, and the apartments are all, you know, like 10 stories, 15 stories, wherever, 20, depending where you are, seven. And they had this stream of ants that the entire time they lived there just went straight up the wall through their apartment. And they thought about, like, should we, should we kill them? Should we? And they said, why? Leave them alone. There are no ants in your apartment. All they're doing is passing through your apartment to whoever's leaving the food out and passing back down, back to their nest. Just, you're just a highway. And they left, and they never had a problem with ants. The ants just worked up and worked down and just all year round. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth meat in the summer. They know when they need to work. Gather food in the harvest. So if you're not sure if you should plant crops, you know, it's an agrarian society. That's how they survive. If you're not sure you should go out and milk the cows, go watch the ants for a few minutes and see if you learn anything. You need to get ready for what's coming. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? You can uh, memorize that verse. You may find it handy somewhere in your future. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? When will thou arise out of thy sleep? It's all you want to do. Get a little sleep, a little slumber, a little ah, folding the hands to sleep. And so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. The word is go 217 times, walk 156 times. In other words, poverty will just show up because you're not working. And thy want, your need, your trouble will overtake you like an armed man. Suddenly you will meet this great overwhelming need because you haven't done anything to prepare for it. 
Procrastination, in other words, will make things difficult for you. Another subject, a naughty person, a wicked man, literally the son of Belial, or worthless. A wicked man walketh with a froward, a perverse mouth. You know, a mouth tells you a lot about people by what they talk about. In fact, the one thing I often call it is your mouth is essentially a dipstick to your heart. Ooh, that needs changing. The mouth of a perverse or wicked man, he walks with a froward mouth. He's a naughty person, a wicked man. He winks with his eyes. Hey, hey, huh, huh, hey, huh, huh. Mm -hmm. Now look, that's different than winking at your kids, okay? Don't like, oh, I can't wink anymore. We do it at dinner time. We, we wink at Whitney. We go, and she goes, she's learning. He winks with his eyes. He speaks with his feet, his body language. Hey, 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 hey. Speaks with his feet, winks with his eyes, teaches with his fingers. It's clear he's up to something. He's sort of the antithesis to the strange woman here. Frowardness, that's perverse from, again, Old King James. Frowardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. It's all he can think about. And he sows discord. The guy's always up to something. Always looking for trouble. By the way, true story. Long ago in the working world, came in one morning to find one of my coworkers looking at porn. The old quick, like, trying to hide it. He was supposed to be a brother in the Lord. So, you know, got settled and everything else. Came over and said, so, uh, how long have you been looking at it? <laughs> Confronted him in love. Like, dude, each change. Praise God. For a while, got out of it. But a couple years later, we were out taking care of some things on business. And, and I just started listening and I started hearing basically a lot of innuendo. And so I finally just said, you're back in the porn, aren't you? He went, oh, oh, I said, dude, come on, don't, don't pull, you know, don't pull my leg, dude. He's like, yeah, you're right, I'm back into it. If you listen to people, they tell you way more than they know. Listen to how they make jokes. Listen to how they speak of women. Listen to how they speak of men. Listen carefully. Many times, if you're, if you, and that, sadly, often after the fact, when you find out something was out of sorts, you go, yeah, you know what? I kept hearing. Well, pay attention, because if you pay attention, you hear a lot from people. They don't even realize what they're saying. But the mouth constantly reveals what's going on in the heart. You'll know when you're near a naughty person, a wicked man. He's got a froward mouth. He winks with his eyes. You can tell. You can look. You, you, women go by and you, you can tell. Like, are they just... You know what I'm talking about. Frowardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He sows discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. They do reap. So just a warning, verse 16, these six things doth the Lord hate. We hear this a few times through Proverbs. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Here are seven things you do not want to incorporate in how you live because God finds them abominable. Number one, a proud look. A proud look. What's behind a proud look? I think of Nebuchadnezzar. Is this not mighty Babylon which I have built? Oop, game over. That was it for him. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. 
There's a time to defend yourself. There's a time for a nation to rise up against evil. But hands that shed innocent blood are an abomination to God. Where does that leave the industry that provides abortions? They're an abomination before God. Anytime we touch this subject, ladies or gentlemen, however you're connected to it, if you have been through an abortion, you've been through that pain, you were told whatever, you've come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are forgiven. That sin, like every other sin, was nailed to his cross. And you have a reunion waiting for you in heaven with that life. But we can't be silent about the evil that it is. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, Hollywood, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, these are all abominable before God. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. You know, this list is awfully hard to digest in light of the election. I'm serious. Think of the issues that we heard about. Think about some of the scandals that were out there. Proud look, lying tongues, hand that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked imagination, feet that are swift to get into mischief, false witnesses that speak lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. These are things God hates. And when we know God hates something, what should we seek to do? Start far from it. Verse 20. See if you've heard this before. My son, keep thy father's commandment, Forsake not the law of thy mother. Your parents instructed you. Listen to them. Don't forget. Bind them continually upon thy heart. Tie them about thy neck. That sounds a bit obvious and in the way, but sometimes we need that kind of reminder. When thou goest, it shall lead thee right things. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. See, if you do what your parents instruct you to do, hopefully they're good, good models and good teachers, it will let you sleep at night. You've got nothing to regret or repent of. That was Proverbs chapters 5 and 6 with Pastor Chris Swanson. For more information about life and the word, visit our web.
something I just I just wanted to get Chris on there because because yeah he's really good
guitarist Gary Rossington is only 70, but his health isn't great, unfortunately. We hope that he gets better so Skinner doesn't have to retire. Do you like how I say only 70? That's what you do when you're over 70. Crazy kids. Some of you kids are, what, pushing 60? Alrighty, it's time for another break, but I've got my bizarre facts up in a few, so go nowhere. I didn't hear who, hear who it was, though. Are you saying Skinner himself? Or his, or his guitarist? O'Reilly! Lord Jesus. Whichever member, if it's actually Leonard Skinner or... They tested it right there in the parking lot. It was bad, real bad. But they helped me find the right battery for my car and even installed it free. I feel bad that I wasn't paying attention. O'Reilly! I am obviously distracted right now. Hey, Karen, give me that tax report by tomorrow. Hey, uh, Bobby, give me that expense. Lord Jesus, I just pray that his health is returned. He needs whip-smart accountants at whiplash speed. Hey, uh, so why aren't these receivables matching up? Indeed can help him hire... And B-Rad's mom. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. Instant Match instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes and Indeed... That's all you're getting tonight. Because I just... I'm just tired. Austin. Terms and conditions apply. Prophecy in the early church. Turn, if you would, we'll look at a few examples in the book of Acts. Turn back to Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Acts 11, verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders of, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So here in verse 27, note, in these days, prophets, specifically it's plural, it's more than one, prophets, came from Jerusalem and they came to Antioch. Antioch has become a sort of a mission station, a, a base for the church in that area. And one specifically is named for us, Agabus, and we read that he stands up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he shares there is going to be a great famine in the world. And we know that that is prophecy. We know it actually did occur under the reign of Claudius Caesar, the emperor. We know specifically, it seems as many as four famines happened during his reign, especially a great one in the years of 80, 45 to 46 that also was very significant in the area of Israel. So as you see here, they also then determined to send relief to the brethren in Judea as a response to this prophecy. Well, then look at chapter 13 with me. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, and who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. We see here, there are, uh, Luke writes to us, there are certain prophets and teachers. And we're given a list of names. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius, Bannon, and Saul. Saul is later named Paul. Paul is the writer of the letter we're studying, 1 Corinthians. We're told then in verse 2 that at some point they're together, they minister to the Lord, they fast, and note those words, the Holy Spirit said. Specifically, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me, set aside to me for my work, Barnabas and Saul. And when you read in the book of Acts, they get separated and they go out on a missionary journey together. They become a missions team and God uses them and we read about it in the book of Acts. So the question, in verse 2, how did that happen practically? They're, they're ministering and fasting and the Holy Spirit said. It seems quite likely, given you know the way it's introduced to us in the beginning, prophetically, some, one of them gives a word of prophecy at some point. It says, I believe this is a word from the Lord. The Lord is saying, the Holy Spirit, Paul, is, you know, Saul, excuse me, Barnabas, you're to be set aside for a special work. God has a, a work for you. So then turn to chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read, rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. We hear, read of another time after the Jerusalem council. We then read how Judas and Silas go about and being prophets, they exhort and strengthen the brethren with many words. Silas later will also travel with Paul and here he, he's described as a prophet. So we note that, but note what they do. The word prophet and then what follows, it's, there's a connection. They're prophets exhorted and strengthened brethren with many words. You have that sense then of prophecy in that context that they're giving is edifying, it's exhorting, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 14. It's comforting. That's what they're doing. As they're reading this letter, going around and ministering, that's what they're doing. Turn to chapter 21. Chapter 21. We see, we're seeing in the early church, prophecy was significant. Verse 1 of chapter 21. Now it came to pass that we had departed from them and said, Sell... Running a straight course, we came to Koth, the following days to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. There's Paul and his team, they're, they're on a ship. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed on the left, sailed to Syria, landed at Tyre, and there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul... Through the Spirit, not to grow up to Jerusalem. Note those words. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and then all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. 
And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns his belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul answered, saying, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. A little more lengthy passage, but you see repeatedly, don't you? Early church, you see verse 4. It doesn't say prophet or anything like that, but we read the Holy Spirit. The people that they're with at that part of the journey began to implore. The Spirit of God is speaking to them. Paul, don't go up to Jerusalem. There's a warning. And then as Paul travels further with his team and comes to another location, he's now in that home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven deacons we read about earlier. We're told he has four daughters who
I wish you could just have nothing for payment. It's the whole reason I did this. You think that rice is done yet? This is much more fun when we're on the road. I can't leave it.